I'm 62, going on 63. And I came up with a theory that the island would be quite a challenge because it's got a long length of west-facing coast. Sometimes it's, there's like a gun that get of, of depressions that get fired in continuously from the other side of the Atlantic. Storms that build down strength and then they, they hit the, the Irish coast. And I was thinking, God, it's going to be quite tough. Uh, and uh, there might be lots of landing on stormy beaches. That's, that's not too easy. So let's do it while I've... <laughs> Uh, my body's up to it. I might take a beating. Welcome back to another episode of the Dode Mode podcast. On today's episode, I am super excited to introduce Mike Conroy, who I met while he was in the middle of circumnavigating the country of Ireland via sea kayak. He was totally self-supported, carried all his snacks and equipment on his kayak and he had some little wheels that he could move his kayak around on land with super fascinating guy great adventurer and i really enjoyed talking to him i hope you guys enjoy this conversation and we will have a part two coming we uh ran out of time and obviously there's a lot to go through so stay tuned for that and i hope you enjoy this conversation hello hello gosh you're in your car there we go. I am. You've been out there. <clears throat> oh, it's freezing cold in Canada right now. It's uh, minus thirty-five Celsius. So, so uh, have you got your motor running? Because otherwise, you're going to freeze to death, and I'll feel responsible for your death. <laughs> I, I have. I've got the engine on, so I'm nice and toasty in here. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, I noticed you're having a bit of a weather event over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's cold. There's a lot of... Anyway, uh, pleasure to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so great to see you again. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, no sweat. No, I like to help young people. I've got three sons of my own, and uh, yes, I find young people a bit more exciting than old people, basically. <laughs> got more life in them. <laughs> well, you're one of the most interesting people I've met. Um, you, We met... I don't re- know if you would remember me, but we met on Clare Island. Uh, when you were oh, about with the cycle yeah. oh yeah <laughs> exactly yes yeah. yes gosh uh so i think we we had camped in the same area that night and then we were both heading off the island at the same time um well that that was an interesting evening actually because uh i didn't i put the tent up and i went to have a meal in the uh social club or what what it was and the guy serving me he was an interesting chap. He was saying he was going around all the islands and he'd met somebody who would uh, contribute to writing a book about all the islands, which I was actually using as my guide as I went around Ireland. So consequently got in touch with him uh, and got a lift and then hiked up a halfway up a mountain to where he lived and uh, spent the evening chatting away with him over, over a peat fire, drinking Irish whiskey. I don't normally drink. And I thought I had the next day off because it was going to be a storm. Uh, so I had a real n- late night because I like to go to bed at 10. <laughs> I do about 2 in the morning. I woke up 4 in the morning and I'd look at my phone and, and the storm had gone. So I, I got up and pegged it and off I went again. So that's when I met you. 
Exactly. I remember you mentioning that uh, that morning. Right, you right. said you had had a couple of drinks and you'd stayed up late, but you still got to it early. You did well. Can you can you give me kind of a background on your adventures and stuff? Have you have you done a big adventure like this before? A big expedition like this? Right. Okay. So, very quick summary is I went to university, got into kayaking. and did a lot of it at university and kind of hung around a few years afterwards and kept doing it. Used to kind of go for three week trips every summer. Uh, we started going to Europe and then we ended up going further afield to Norway and Turkey even and got married, settled down, uh, really focused on the kids. I mean, it's, it's, you've got to have the right team to do that sort of thing because it can, can get a bit gnarly. And uh, it's never quite, you never get the, the same team as you have when you, you know, those bonds you form in your early years because you've really got to trust people. And we were all at the same level and everything. So, so I thought that was my adventurous days over. But, uh, well, I had three kids, uh, all boys, they all kind of grew up. And one of them went to Lancaster University. And in his second year, he rang me up and he said, Oh, Dad, I'm into kayaking and I want to go. We want to go to the Alps and we're short of a car. Can you drive? And I said, Yeah, I will, but I've got a kayak as well. So I dusted off all my boats and actually subsequently went out for a couple of years, <laughs> me and a load of uh, 20 year old students uh, bashing down the rivers. And uh, they would all stay up late, late around the campfire, you know, drinking beers, and I'd go to bed and get up early and do yoga and that sort of thing. But on the river, we were a team and it was it was great. Uh, so, and I was driving around the Alps far too fast in me, me old dad's car. <laughs> so, uh, and I thought that was it again. After, after, after a couple of years, I thought this is okay, but it's, uh, if I turn the dial up anymore, it'll be getting dangerous. I didn't want to do that. So, so went back to work and I was getting a bit uh, disenchanted with work. So uh, we actually moved from near Bristol in the UK to uh, the southwest in the UK, Cornwall, where, where my wife's from, beautiful part of the world. And I'm fortunate enough now to have a house which is far away from what I regard as some of the most beautiful beaches in the entire planet. Uh, on the wild Atlantic coast. Uh, so I subsequently retired and I spent a lot of time doing up in house. I was, I was doing a bit of, I was getting to sea kayaking, which I always regarded a bit of an, an old man's sport, but, uh, and I, I did all the locality and I regarded it as quite an imposition of my wife to kind of have to drive me to places. Cause I, I hate doing the same bit twice. So I, I generally dislike starting A and coming back to A. So I hit upon the idea of uh, paddling around the whole of the county of Cornwall. Uh, and that rapidly turned into, oh, well, I might as well paddle around the whole of Brisbane. So I came up with my plan to do that. And so uh, step A was to paddle around Cornwall. And then the following year was to kind of get up to speed with all the skills you need and paddle around Southern England, which is 
kind of quite unique trip. No one's done it before, which meant get literally uh, putting the wheels on my boat, going down to the beach, paddling out to Bristol, paddling via rivers and canals all the way to London, going right through the centre of London, which was which is a right laugh because it's well, there's not many places more iconic than passing Tower of London and London Eye and all those uh, buildings. And, well, I just kept going out the Thames Estuary and then paddled back along the south coast round the tip of Cornwall Cove. And I was fortunate enough to have, I think it took me six weeks in the end, have this marvellous weather. Uh, so uh, it was immensely enjoyable. And I, I, there's various people who've done similar things to that before. And I'd read their books, and they always put the scary bits in, and uh, it, you know, it kind of puts you off a bit, I guess. <laughs> Quite intimidating. <laughs> so uh, it was it was easy, really. So I didn't think I was going to die or anyway anything close to that the whole time. So I, at the end of it, I thought, oh, that was quite fun. I'm kind of not sure whether I want to do it again, and I didn't feel as challenged. Uh, well, what I really did like was stopping off places on the way there and having a mosey around and bumping into people. And I was kind of working my way up to getting a bit braver and actually going to talk to strangers, which is uh, not a very British thing to do. And I've kind of avoided it most of my life, but hey, you know, you can always change. So, yeah, so I was back home and... Uh, uh, well, I then came up with a plan with, for, for going around Ireland, which was never never in my original plan. Uh, why did I do that? I did that because uh, I'm getting old. I'm 62, going on 63. And I came up with a theory that, that Ireland would be quite a challenge because it's got a long length of west-facing coast exposed to the... Uh, the Atlantic, and, uh, well, there's, there's a kind of, sometimes it's like, there's like a gun that get of, of depressions that get fired in continuously from the other side of the Atlantic. Storms are built down on strength, and then they, they hit the, the Irish coast. And I was thinking, God, it's going to be quite tough, uh, and uh, there might be lots of landing on stormy beaches that's, that's not too easy. So let's do it while I've, <laughs> uh, my body's up to it. I might take a beating. Uh, so interestingly, it didn't turn out to be that way at all because, because the coast of Ireland is so convoluted and it's got so many islands and things that act as breaks for the coast that as a general rule, I was able to find pretty pretty safe landing uh spots that didn't involve me uh kind of going through 10 foot surf which is always a bit of a well i don't like doing that if i can avoid it uh so yeah that that's that's uh that's the the short story beautiful um you mentioned going through some urban areas in england um did you ever stay at 
hotels or anything or were you kind of camping the whole way Well, uh, let me think. Uh, I managed to get, well, I, I went up to Bristol, uh, ready for the kind of overland rivers and canals bit. And I met up with some friends uh, of my son who lived there. Uh, and I stayed, that was the first time I'd been in a house for a couple of weeks. Uh, and the, the purpose of being them was that I could, drop off a lot of my kit because uh, the, the problem with doing canals in particular and rivers is that they go up and down hills, which is not the usual thing with seas. And to do so, they have uh, locks, which require getting your boat out, uh, going along a bit and then putting it back in again, which is all a bit of a faff. So the less stuff you have in, the better. Uh, So uh, I did away with all my cooking stuff, any any spare clothes I didn't need. I just went down to a tent and figured, well, I'm in the middle of a civilization. I'll be able to just buy food as I went along. Uh, so that, that worked out quite, quite reasonably. And uh, then I went all the way around to nearly right, right away to the south coast. Uh, without yeah without doing anything besides camping uh till i got near brighton and i figured it was it's so heavily built up there that there's, there's not many wild camping opportunities and the weather was setting in uh so i, I actually had a normal campsite with showers so that was that was luxury for a couple of days and a bit further on the coast uh <laughs> Round about halfway along the the coast of uh, southern England, there's uh, a sticking out peninsula, which uh, which uh, concentrates the, the tidal uh, currents there. So that that particular getting past that island, I, I that was one of the big worries I had because uh, it's got a fearsome reputation, and I ended up camping. Uh, just before it on, on the peninsula for two days because it got really stormy uh, and then it kind of got less stormy and off I set and uh, I managed to get through past the end of the peninsula where the big waves were but the land following that is a huge great uh, what's it called Chesil Beach it's called as a, a book as a title It's basically a huge, uh, very steep shingle beach that's got nothing on it. It's unbroken for about 10 or 15 miles. And the waves were kind of exploding onto it. and You couldn't land there. Uh, so, that yeah, that's one the other reason it was a bit of a landmark to get past. So I, I, uh, I had a bit of a hard paddle to get all the way to the, uh, the town, the first town, I got there and I was knackered and there was another big storm coming in and it was about to rain and I was looking around for I was in this port uh, looking around for somewhere to camp <laughs> I was thinking of camping in the middle of a roundabout with traffic <laughs> I thought but then I also looked around I thought there's blooming hotels everywhere I, was, I thought so, I thought darn it I thought I, I, I went and because <laughs> uh, well, my kayak has wheels so I can I can uh, 
uh, that I put on, I can take it quite long distances. So I headed off to a hotel and and, and booked in for the night. Uh, so that was nice. So, and that was it. That was that was the last time I stayed at, other than under campus. That was a long answer, but not a lot, not a lot. Uh, but that's also indicative of how good the weather was, really, because uh, I I only had four or five days when it, it was too rough to go out, which is very different from my Irish experience. Right. So tell me a little bit about your experience in Ireland. Did you get some good opportunities to uh, meet the people and kind of uh, learn, learn the culture a little bit? So basically, that's where I live in Newquay, right down the bottom of England. So I had to drive for about 10 hours, which I suppose is nothing for you guys, because everything's far apart where you are, up to a sticky out bit of Scotland, which is near Northern Ireland. And there's ferries go across here uh, from Scotland to the to Belfast, basically. But uh, it just so happened the weather was really good. So I was able to paddle straight across. It took me about six hours. Uh, and I actually didn't land on the mainland. There was an island, which was quite handy. That, uh, that was my, my first Irish soil. And the adventure had started. So that was all, that was all good. So, uh, so I then proceeded from the, the top of the east coast of Ireland uh, a week and a half, uh, all the way down to a place called Carnesaw Point, which is the southeastern corner. And I remember going around that corner because suddenly, as soon as you went around the corner of this headland, in came the Atlantic swell. That was really quite exciting. So, uh, so if if you're in a sea that's that's not exposed to an ocean, you get short wave short wavelength waves. So it's all a bit choppy. But as soon as you're in in an ocean, you can get uh, waves where the wavelength, as opposed to being like three to five seconds, can go from ten to fifteen seconds. And the whole experience is different. You kind of it's a very slow rise and very slow fall. It's just kind of majestic. Uh, so the weather was good all the way, and I was making good progress. No stops, all camping. Didn't interact with a lot of people, uh, and I got halfway along. Uh, to another kind of sticking out peninsula called the Old Man of Kinsale. Uh, and that's fun because uh, you can actually, there's caves that go all the way through the peninsula at the narrowest point. And just before then, I'd, uh, so as I'm going around, I'm kind of posting all on Facebook kind of videos and kind of daily diaries, etc. And I, in the scale of things, it's like pathetically nothing, but what am I? I'd lost the sun, so I couldn't charge my uh, my battery pack, which I use for my phone, which is my life. My phone's my life because I don't have a laptop or anything. And uh, I, I might be occasionally stopping in on cafes and things to for a couple of hours to get a bit of charge, but that never did do it. 
So I'd run out and then I went to my reserve one and it was broken. So I had a bit of a whinge on Facebook. And then I tried to find somewhere to buy one, which was near impossible. And then I I was wandering around this town trying to find a shop that sold me one and being pushed from pillar to post. And suddenly my, my phone rang and it was one of the local guys, Anthony, and he said, do you... <laughs> Do you want a power pack? Power pack, and normally I say, "Oh no, no, I couldn't possibly do that," you know. But uh, I, I was very desperate, so I said, "Yes." He goes, "Do you want a big one or a small one?" So I said, "Big one." And he said, "Okay, where are you going?" I told him. I said, "I'll meet you at the beach." So off I went, and that evening, as I as I landed, I had a whole reception committee of the local kikers, uh, and Anthony handed me over a bag full of food with a, a new power pack. And then this other chap who's uh who runs Copper Coast kayaks took me to his house and put me up and washed me clothes and had a shower and a meal and good old chat. So that was wonderful. And then when I got to this head of Kinsale place just before it, uh I met another chap, <laughs> John Hines, gosh, I thought those you, who was known as the Wild Atlantic Warrior, who's who's uh, famous amongst sea kiting uh, circles, and he's also he's been around Ireland himself, and he runs two big outdoor activity centres. And he, yeah, he's he's the big cheese in uh, Irish kiting, so that was quite an honour for me. He put me up for the night, uh, and then he he kind of gave me the lowdown on the next bit of coast. Uh, and what you can see in the listeners can't is from there on in, uh, instead of being fair, relatively uh, smooth, the coast has got lots of sticky out bits. So, uh, so I, I explained to John, I said, well, I, I don't like doing long crossings because I, I like being close into the, the land because you can see what's going on and you feel a lot safer if you're not miles out to sea and stuff. And he looked at me and he said, look, buddy, it's all long crossings from here. And I was thinking, no. <laughs> and then off I went the next day. Uh, well, actually, that was quite an exciting bit. Off I went with him the next day to go through these blooming caves. And it was quite it was quite weatherish. So uh, the two of us were kind of shouting at each other above the wind and the waves. And then... Uh, he kind of led me to the entrance to the cave and off he went. And it's so narrow, this cave. It's about, I don't know, 50 yards long. But the waves are coming through. <laughs> and, and it's so narrow that you've got to be careful, otherwise your paddle gets stuck. Uh, and I was halfway through and I shouted, hold on a minute. Can you, I want to take a photograph. <laughs> and he must have thought he was having a total nutter behind him. He said, no, don't do that, keep going. So we got through to the other side and uh, the visibility is gone. And uh, he said, are, are you okay? Can you make it across to the next headland? And I kind of thought about it and said, yeah, I'll probably be okay. <laughs> and then, then off I went, which was the first time I'd paddled off. Because uh, you couldn't see where I, I couldn't see where I was going. I was just using a the compass on my boat to kind of point in vaguely the right direction. And there were quite big waves and stuff. Uh, 
So, yeah, anyway, I got there, uh, landed on a beach in the middle of nowhere, went into the, the undergrowth, it was sopping wet, and it was pouring rain and put the tent up uh, on a very uneven kind of uh, bit of grass and sand and thought, well, hey, the adventure's really kind of ramping up here. But, but the really good bit was that I'd made contact with the people there, which was the the highlight of the rest of the trip, really. So uh, so I, th I then proceeded to do headland-to-headland -headland paddling, which uh, was very exciting because you, you, you kind of you go around a headland and then you think, where's the next headland? And if it's clear, right in the distance, you, you maybe can just see, uh, vaguely make out a lighthouse or something like that. You think, oh, my goodness, I've got to go all the way there. It just looks like forever. But you just you, know, you just keep going and you get there. Uh, so, uh, and I made it all the way around to uh, the very southwest, all these kind of sticking out fingers. So this this was a bit of I'd always been a bit worried because there you've got no choice to make these long crossings where you get um, multiple miles out to sea, and it's absolutely notorious. Uh, so anyway, the weather wasn't too bad, so it was fine. But the most exciting thing was when I was going around this one, Mizzen Head. Uh, I actually became a grandfather, so because my, my eldest son was expecting his first child. <laughs> That's I, incredible. I Congratulations. Go, yeah, go paddling anyway. And the funny thing was, well, I got to this place here, which is uh, literally the middle of nowhere, a place called Lower Reed. Uh, Black, Black Ball Harbour, that's it. So it was absolutely gorgeous place, totally on my own, no one there to talk to, beautiful, clear kind of sea lake. And, it, yeah, it was a memorable day. <laughs> suddenly, the it was a great big mountain kind of there, and suddenly the phone goes, and it was my son on Messenger doing a video call, uh, telling me about... Yeah, his his happy event. And the funny thing was, my wife was out. So, <laughs> so even though I was in the, the, the wilds of uh, Ireland, I got to hear the news uh, before she did, which is quite uh, ironic, I guess. That's incredible. Uh, that's awesome. That, that's the bridge near Miz Miz Head. Uh, so you have to you have to put the the link to this so that the uh, listeners can have a, a virtual tour uh but as you can see the, the weather was spectacularly good uh and well it, interestingly there's all sorts of weather going on further inland so I, I was going going along in these beautiful but when i looked inland there was just a an amazing cloud panorama uh that was just spellbinding really it was uh an astonishing day it really was I mean, i'm looking at the photographs i haven't looked at them for, for months now that's black ball harbor uh 
And that's where I camped. Yeah, see, I had a beautiful campsite. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, anyway, so I managed to get around the rest of the fingers all, all the way to a famous place called Dingle. Uh, and that's when the weather just went a bit crazy. Uh, so I got stuck in Dingle for about three or four days, I remember. Yes, at this place called the Rainbow Hostel, which was fantastic. So even though I was camping, uh, the hostel had a great big kitchen, communal kitchen, and there was all these people from uh, all over Europe and quite a few Americans, and I, I almost became a fixture there. And I was just sitting around all day having a chat with them and then uh, going into town once in a while, uh, thinking, when am I going to start off again? Uh, and then I finally did start off. It was enough of a break in the weather to 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 go uh to get into the true atlantic so even though i picked up the atlantic swells on, on the south coast you get onto the west coast and there is it is interesting it was uh so there's this place called great Island. it's now and it was inhabited till the 60s and there's some very famous authors and poets who kind of hung out there and wrote about life there. Uh, anyway, there's a family that owns some of the houses there that's still in good shape. And during the summer, boats of tourists come up from Dingle. It takes about an hour to, to go along the coast and they land on the island. And there's a, there's a couple of people who, who live there permanently who kind of serve in cups of tea and uh, that they look after the island, they're the wardens. Uh, and <laughs> I had no intention whatsoever of going on this blooming island because the, the straits, the, the bit of water between the island and the mainland, are absolutely notorious for the strong currents and big waves and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I meant to uh, stop just for lunch at this place called Kuminuru which is not how you pronounce it, I'm sure, which is the beach that is used in the film Ryan's Daughter, if you're familiar with that at all. But anyway, when I, when I had a look at that beach, I thought, oh, I really don't fancy it. It doesn't see much much sand there, and there's big big waves rocking up and everything. And I looked towards Great Blasket Island across the strait, which didn't seem that bad, and there was a lovely, welcoming strip of sand there. So I just, and this is one of the beauties of sea kayaking. There's, there's no, there's no paths. You, know, you can go where the, the hell you like, basically. So I just pointed in that direction and off I went. And uh, for too long, I was, I, I kind of crash landed on the beach, and I was just picking myself up. And then a couple of people had appeared, and they were the, the wardens, and they'd had the day off because the weather was so rough. There was no visitors there. And uh, we got to chat in and they said, oh, why don't you come stay with us? You've got showers and hot meals. So uh, the next day was stormy as well. So I, I ended up staying with them for a couple of days uh, and had an absolutely gorgeous time. They've got their own website as well, which I'll give you a link to. Uh, I think there's something like 2,000 people that interviewed, you know, wanted to live that life because it's quite special just for the summer on an island. 
at the end of the world. Uh, so that was fun. That was jolly good fun. And then with some trepidation, I set off uh, on a really big paddle around a blooming big mountain called Brandon Mountain. Uh, and one of the interesting things that I'd never really experienced before is even though I was paddling about, I don't know, half a mile out to sea some stages, there was, there was some really big waves coming in. And they come in and they hit the cliffs and then they bounce off again. So you get a kind of interference pattern that, that stretches out a long way. And what it means is you've got waves uh, interfering with each other and it makes everything very, very random. Because <laughs> sometimes they cancel each other out and sometimes they reinforce each other and you get a double height wave. And they were coming, like they were coming behind from behind as they went along and they go about three times as fast as you do. So you just, I don't know, you just got to chill out really because <laughs> you're on your own. Uh, you can't land anywhere, uh, not till you get to your destination and you're kind of, you're sort of in control, but it's a bit edgy. It feels edgy. It was, I've, I was all right, but I went a long way that day. And uh, I then actually crossed a big bay. And there's another really weird peninsula. Uh, and I stopped at this amazing place. So I stopped at an island. I was the only one on the island. And on the island is uh, a abandoned monastery, which is one of the kind of, they call it a beehive monastery. Uh, so I actually slept, you know, on a deserted island in a monastery, which is quite cool. And then I had another big day. I had to cross the, uh, what's it called? The uh, big estuary, quite a big estuary, uh, the Shannon, that's it. I had to cross the Shannon. So I did, and I got to a place called Kilbaha, uh, and... I got stuck there for 10 days, which was quite interesting because the weather really went crazy. Uh, and this, the next bit from Kilbahar at the mouth of the Shannon to a place called Kilki is just magnificent, but very scary and very inaccessible cliffscape. So, uh, and the story there is I reached out to my friend, uh, John Hines, who reached out to the local kayakers and somehow there's a lady called Ruth <laughs> who got the message. He said, said to my friend, come along with me. We're, we're going to fight, try and find this kayaking guy. And she turned up and rescued me. And I ended up living in her house for the best part of two weeks. And she arranged all sorts of adventures for me. And I, there was a, a local musical festival. I went to that. I was uh, mountain biking in a place called Barron, uh, and all sorts of things. So that was that was great. So uh, that's awesome. And then finally, I had a break. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just saying that's awesome. My uh, my timer is going to cut me off here, so I might have to. We might have to revisit this for the second half of the trip. Yeah, sure, sure. You you're using the free version. I know, yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, we'll this, keep. Yeah, go on. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I'd love to to set up another time and and finish going through the rest of the trip with you. That would be awesome. I'll do part two. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, there's lots to tell. Lots to tell. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and and sharing some of your experiences. Well, it, it's uh, I've been focusing on other things of late, so it's quite nice to relive it. So I, I'm enjoying myself. I hope I'm not boring the pants off everybody. No, I'm, I'm sure everyone will love listening to this. I I'm fascinated by these kind of stories, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. Okay, to the money. Uh, so yeah, uh, suggest another maybe next weekend or something. Perfect. All right, we'll keep in touch. Okay. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Thanks so much, Mike. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Dode Mode podcast. I had a great chat with Mike, and I'm looking forward to our next chat, which we will cover the rest of his journey around Ireland. If you guys want to find out more about Mike's journey and his other adventures, I'll leave lots of links to all his Facebook stuff and everything like that. And you can find that all in the description of the show. Thanks so much. And until next time, peace and love. Bye.